This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Yael Averbush has an incredible story. It's a story that has so many twists and turns, but somehow she was able to navigate the murky New Jersey soccer scene and emerge as one of this country's best female players. Some of the highlights of her story include playing up on a U14 boys team, skipping high school soccer, playing college soccer at her dream school, earning 26 caps with the U.S. women's national team, and navigating some sketchy deals with some teams overseas. Yael's insight into player development and what it actually takes to become a special player is incredibly valuable. She talks about how much time she spent hitting the ball against a wall and how important it was for her to train on her own away from organized team practice. And personally, I think that this is the type of stuff that every American player, coach, and parent needs to hear. In addition to playing professional soccer, she has also launched her own business that focuses on player development. A quote from her website reads, The Techni training system is very special to me because it encapsulates a process that has come to define who I am, the process of striving for mastery. If you're interested in learning more about that program or connecting with Yael on social media, you can find links to everything that she does on 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can find more information about our program, the 343 Coaching Education Program, that also is about striving for mastery. And this conversation with Yael is easily one of my favorites that I've ever recorded because Yael, like us, or like I like to believe uh, I do here on this podcast, gives an authentic insider look at the development process. That's, That's exactly what she does in this episode, and that's exactly what the 343 membership gives you as well. It's an all access pass for you to see real training sessions and real games showing you the entire journey of one of this country's best coaches and best teams from the time they were a group of U10s until the guys started to play professionally as teenagers. Um, yeah, it's just it, this this conversation with, with Yael just resonated with me because of that authentic and just realness that I feel like was just oozing throughout the entire conversation. And if you enjoy that, and, and if that's the type of information that you are seeking as a coach or as a player, or as a parent, then I highly recommend checking out our 343 Coaching Education Program. And that is actually what supports and funds this podcast. So if you are already a member, thank you so much. Um, if you are looking to learn more about the benefits of becoming a member, you can do that on 343coaching.com. And if you have no idea who we are and you're just finding us for the first time now, you can also just dip your toes in the water with our free course. So we highly recommend starting there if you're brand new to us and consume as much of that as possible and just get a feel for what we do and why we do it. So there you go. There you have it. Um, I really hope that you guys enjoy listening to this conversation with Yael as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with her. So without further ado, here we go. Enjoy. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to hit record right now. Um, Sounds good. And let's, uh, let's go for it. So 
I guess we can start with, well, I, I actually, I, I want to tell you, and I've had to uh, say this to way too many people, actually, when I interview them, is that I don't know very much about you. Um, I, I kind of, I've seen your name and I've seen your videos pop up before. I've never really looked into, into like your total story until recently. And then, um, and then just yesterday, actually, uh, a friend of mine wrote a blog post about individual training and, um, gave some examples and he cited, um, Santi Corzola from, from Spain and, and a couple other European examples. And then he threw your name in the mix and it reminded me that that one point I had put your name on a list of people that I wanted to interview. Um, and I was like, Hey, like I'm going to, you know, go back to our website and see if there's a contact me form and, and submit it and see what happens. And I did. And yeah, like less than 12 hours later, here we are on the phone. So, um, I don't know much about your, your story and I'm hoping that we can kind of get into that as well. So if you could maybe just start and, and by introducing yourself and telling people a little bit about what you're up to today, um, and then I'll kind of pick you apart with some questions about your past and bring us back to the present as well. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm honored that I was on that list of, uh, resources that you, that you read. <laughs> yeah, of um, course. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, originally from northern New Jersey and uh, started playing soccer when I was seven years old just because my friend in school played. You know, my, my parents didn't grow up playing, I think very similar to a lot of uh, kids kind of in my generation. There wasn't much knowledge about soccer, but it was a fun thing to do. Um, and kind of like my personality, I, I became very serious about it pretty quickly. I think I would have been the same way if I had picked up piano or gymnastics or something else as well. But uh, when I was nine, I remember writing in my journal that I wanted to become a professional soccer player. And honestly, there's no way I understood what that meant. Um, but, you know, that was my goal. I saw the, the U.S. women's national team win the 99 World Cup. And um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to UNC and be a Tar Heel like Mia Hamm. And I wanted to play on the national team and be a professional soccer player. And so, um, you know, obviously along the way that it took a lot of figuring out what it would take and what that meant and how I could bring myself closer to my goals. And there were a lot of exciting moments and then obviously some disappointments. And I did end up playing at University of North Carolina for my uh, college soccer career. And following that um, was actually the launch of the last women's professional league uh, prior to the current league, the NWSL, which is called WPS. And so right when I graduated college, that league was actually launching. So I played three years in WPS. Um, and unfortunately, that league folded and there was a kind of a year off transition time before the new league started. And during that time, I played overseas for a month actually in Russia, uh, which was a very bad experience. And then I <laughs> uh, ended, ended up in Sweden for a year and a half, which was wonderful in Gothenburg, Sweden. Um, and following that, returned back to the U.S. to play in the NWSL, where I've been for the past, I guess, five, five years now. So I'm in actually my 10th season as a professional player now. I play for Seattle Reign FC. So um, I've, I've ended up playing all over the U.S. Um, and the world, I guess you could say. I had a little stint playing in Cyprus one off season, and just have had some awesome experiences with international play um, in addition to uh, you know playing in two now women's professional leagues in our country. And I probably shouldn't leave this part out when I said international. I thought of it. I, I'm fortunate enough to have 26 caps uh, with the U.S. women's national team, which is, you know, the, the greatest honor in our sport. So in a lot of ways, I have lived my dream. I still have aspects of it that I uh, I didn't achieve. So I, I feel like I'm never quite satisfied. But 
um, I've had so far a very long professional career and learned a ton while doing it. That's so awesome. The hardest part, I'm going to tell you the hardest part about being an interviewer. So I wrote down, let's see, one, two, three, four questions for you. Cause I knew that if I wrote down any more, I would never get to them. And, uh, what you just said in like two or three minutes right there, I already have like 20 follow up questions that I want to ask, which is like, it, this is going to be very difficult for me because there's so many parts I want to, I, I want to go back to. Um, but I, I, I want to, I want to start with a question that I actually did write down because I think it's going to set the stage for maybe the rest of the conversation. Um, do you think it's safe to say that you are absolutely obsessed with soccer? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely a fair assessment. I think that, um, that, you know, that's actually something that later in my career, in my life, I've tried to change. Not, not because it's bad to be obsessed with soccer. I think you have to be if you really want to play at the highest level and if you want to become – an expert in the game. And that's not something I'm saying that I am, am an expert, but it's my journey and my path towards um, attempting to become a master and an expert in this game, whether it's on the playing field or watching and analyzing kind of all the aspects of the game. So I think that um, to say I'm obsessed with soccer is very true. And it has to do with more than, than me just as a soccer player. I think um, an important part of my journey was in high school. I had a club coach who uh love soccer more than any person I think I'll ever meet. Um, it's his life, his soccer team and people are his family. And to him, there's nothing better in the world. And I think by being coached by him and seeing him jump in with us to play and how excited he'd be at the field, uh, that really taught me to love the game as something more than just, okay, I have this goal to be a pro player. So I need to work hard. I need to be passionate about it. All those things you hear, but, um, there was a, there was a love of the game beyond that that I think I started to learn in high school and it's only grown since. I mean, if you go anywhere in the world uh, and you know anything about soccer, you automatically have a community of people and it's just it's such a cool way to connect with people. Um, to for me, it's to experience and and live out my childhood dream um, to to learn about different cultures. I think there's like so much to the game. So yes, I'm very obsessed with soccer and. I've tried to lessen that obsession as I've gotten a little older in my career because it can become unhealthy at times, um, especially when it, it does go into the physical realm of like constantly training and wanting to be out on the field every moment of every day. You know, there's you got to limit yourself in some ways. And I have to also disconnect mentally at times. So I'm obsessed for sure, but trying to uh, cure myself a little bit of that obsession. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a good point you brought up, though, because as you, you know, get into your career you're, you said you're 10 years as into it as a professional now the physical side of things really start to kind of weigh you down or you start to notice them more I guess is, is uh, one way you could put it but when you're when you're younger you know you know ages four five six seven eight nine whatever you don't you don't feel that you don't you don't feel that physical like wear and tear and during that time I think if I if I read your story correctly that's kind of when your obsession started and with your obsession, it came this insane work ethic. When when did that start? And, and is there any like specific moment or memory that you have of like something that maybe sparked it or or, you know, a memory that you kind of always come back to or a story you always tell? Yeah, it's funny because I, I didn't realize at the time, but I was really fortunate as a young player to have great coaches and mentors. And I think part of that was the area I grew up in northern 
New Jersey, there's a lot of diversity. So we have people from a lot of different countries um, coaching just in my local town even. Uh, so there was a lot of knowledge at the time surrounding the game and different styles and people with different ideas. And um, certainly my parents were a huge influence in terms of my thinking about what I wanted to do because in my household, my parents are both lifelong athletes. They never played soccer, like I said, but they're uh, long distance runners. So I would wake up every morning and my parents had already done their run for the day and had showered or whatever their workout was. If it was snowing, they had jumped rope in the house or whatever weird thing. <laughs> but like, it was just taken for granted in my household that like, who, if you're an athlete, that's part of who you are and you chip away at that every day. Like, I don't know, my parents weren't competing for anything at that time, but they had their plan. They planned their workouts. They increased their weights each week in the gym. They, you know, they went about <laughs> their, their training plans. And so for me as a kid, I thought it was just a normal thing. It's like, okay, you want to be a pro? Well, like, obviously you have to work on all those skills every single day. And, um, you know, I had, like I said, these coaches and mentors in my town or someone just randomly, I remember my first youth coach was saying, well, you know, if you want to be a good soccer player, you have to learn to juggle the ball. And, oh, no, not just with your thighs. Like when I came back and had learned a few juggles on my thighs, not with your thighs. <laughs> now you got to do it with your feet. And then and and I remember that same coach, um, Ashley Hammond is his name. He still coaches here in northern New Jersey. He took me out one time with a, a bag of probably 20 soccer balls. And he said, OK, you're going to learn to strike the ball. And I did right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, striking it with the laces, learning to follow through properly. All the elements of that, um, literally until my quads were strained. Like, I think my mom was worried the next day because I actually was like slightly <laughs> injured because I had struck so many balls. But in my mind, like, OK, well, I have to go back out and practice this because I'm not going to go back to practice with Ashley before I've I've like gotten better at this. That just like wouldn't be a thing I would do. So I think it was a combination of a lot of things. It was, it was the way I was raised in my household. Um it was these coaches and mentors and it was also it's my mentality in general i think i'm just that way about something like if you show me something and i'm going to see you again next week i don't dare show up again without having learned <laughs> that skill <laughs> so for me it was a matter of like i would go out to the field with my dad and we had watched all these vhs tapes on how to learn to play soccer and i remember there was this one uh it showed like basic volleying series you know inside of the feet laces and we we started on doing the series and we slowly over the years added to the series and we made up our own ways of training we did this game that we would call sequences where he would throw it to me and he would say okay before he threw it he would say right foot left thigh header right foot right foot left foot and i would have to like juggle in that Jesus. sequence and hit it back to him so <laughs> we would just over time like and it didn't start off like that wasn't what i was doing at first i remember like first trying to get 10 juggles and it was so frustrating it took me weeks probably but um it was like it became this thing and we we would we made up ways to train and get better and um I just remember, I don't remember thinking of this logically, like, oh, I am training and putting in hard work to become a pro. It was just kind of like what you did. I had to learn the game of soccer and watch these training things. And if I saw these things I couldn't do, like, well, you got to go out and learn to do them. It's just like kind of uh, obviously what would need to happen if you want to eventually be able to play like the people you watch on TV. So, um, you know, and that that translated over many years into hours spent kicking against the wall, uh, you know, hours and hours spent juggling, tr coming up with dribbling moves, testing myself in various things where I had scores and then trying to improve them. And it just, um, it's just evolved. And even, even today I go back to the same schoolyard. I trained out with my dad. We, we brought the soccer ball up there actually yesterday and we're, uh, you know, filming a little video of me doing some of the volleys <laughs> off the wall, but it's just like th those things never end. You know, if you're a true, um, 
a true professional, I think that's a mindset. I don't think that that comes from collecting a paycheck. I think that comes that can be an eight or nine year old kid. And there are some people who collect a paycheck in the game of soccer who are not true professionals. So um, it's definitely a mindset more than um, more than any other distinction. So I think I actually became a professional and I've been living the life of a professional soccer player almost probably since I was like, if I really look at it, 11 or 12 years old, I was fully committed. Everything I did, all the decisions I made were to get better at the sport of soccer. When did the wall become part of like your development plan? And I kind of hinted that I wanted to, that I really wanted to talk to you about this part of it because, you know, if somebody Googles your name, the wall, like you kicking a ball against the wall is like the top 10 videos that show up and it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. Um, but like you kind of hinted at just a second ago is, you know, it didn't become that aesthetically pleasing, like the way that your videos are now right away. So when, when did the wall become part of your training program, I guess, and maybe, maybe describe what that actually looked like when you first started. Yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to actually remember when I first ever started training using the wall and kind of why it was definitely my dad and I would go up there to the schoolyard. We could walk to the schoolyard with a big brick wall uh, near my house. And there was a period of time where I remember we would start doing that. And I mean, it literally has happened ever since um, to this day. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of, you know, where we got that idea. I'm sure I'm sure that um, my dad either read something or we watched something that suggested that because for me, you know, I had, I have a younger sister who, uh, has a lifelong player as well, played all the way through college. And there would be times when we would train together and could work on kicking and passing together. But there was a lot of time too, where she either didn't want to come out and train with me because I was kind of, I was kind of mean about it and very uh, rigid in the way I wanted us to do things. <laughs> so there were times when she said no, which I wasn't happy about. And my dad certainly, I mean, he tried to practice juggling a little bit there. My dad certainly couldn't train with me. So there was some aspect of like needing a training partner. Um, and the wall, I mean, the wall is a perfect training partner. I don't exactly remember like why we had that idea, but um, it, you know, it started off, I, I'm pretty sure just with some, maybe some basic passing technique even. And I'm the kind of person I never get bored with doing the basics. So I literally could do inside of the foot passing against the wall, vary my distances, right foot only, left foot only for like 20 minutes and love every moment of it. I love the sound of it. I think it's like a little bit meditational or something for me. But um, I'm sure it just started off as some basic passing. And then a big part of what I would do on the wall is, is just learning to strike the ball with good technique. So you don't need to, you know it's hard to, if you're not a soccer coach to have a bag of soccer balls. Like I didn't have that as a kid. I had a few soccer balls that we would somehow bought a couple and then acquired a few others from the field (laughs) here and there. And then, um, you know, nobody, nobody, we didn't have a goal with a net and a way to like get in good repetition of kicking. So the wall was absolutely perfect. And I, I remember this little routine that I still do now. It's like I would do um, kind of a longer inside of the foot pass with each foot. And even that, just developing the strength to hit a good firm inside of the foot pass, I think it's like a really underrated skill in the game. So I practiced that. Then a, a low laces shot, like on the ground almost, or kind of like a couple inches off the ground with each foot. And I would stay on each one until I did the technique to my liking, which over the years has definitely changed. I'm way more picky now. Um, so I would do inside of the foot with each foot, a low laces Places, like driven ball then I would do more of like a lofted ball like you play a long ball and then just a 
a chip where I'd like really cut under it and not follow through at all. Then an inside of the foot bent ball with each foot and outside of the foot bent ball with each foot. And I had this little routine I'd go through and I'd cycle through them all. And again, staying on each one until I did it properly. So and, and over time, I mean, I, I have like tons of things that I practiced uh, with the wall. I'd say the main thing, though, was actually just kicking off of it. You know, you can do a little volley, see how many times you can keep it up. There's like all kinds of uh, fun stuff I do when I went out to the schoolyard, but really um, striking the ball. And even I remember some of the early things I would try would literally like, can I get it above this line? Like learning to kick the ball in the air and get underneath it. Um, so that was an aspect of it. And I think it just. I mean, it made sense. Like the ball came right back to you. So even if you had to run and get it a little bit, you got to do a lot in a short amount of time. So it kept me motivated as a kid. And I wasn't like waiting or chasing the ball all over the place. I could constantly be playing. And in 25, 30 minutes at the, at the schoolyard, I mean, you could do a full training session and then come home. You don't need two hours or anything like that. One of the notes that I wrote down uh, last night, thinking about this interview and I, I can't remember where I pulled it from. Maybe, maybe your personal website, but it, something, something jumped out at me and, and it said how to get better when it's just you and a ball. And the story that you're describing right now is, is an absolute, you know, just the, the perfect scenario of, you know, yeah, most kids don't have access to a goalkeeper or a bag of balls or a bunch of cones. And, and you really don't need that. What, what you really need is just yourself and a ball. And I, I think when, when parents, we have, we have quite a few parents that listen to this podcast and of course a lot of coaches. Um, but when, when they hear this, hopefully they, they kind of find this uh, a little bit motivating and, and they can kind of learn something about how they can maybe, you know, talk to their player about, you know, getting out there and doing the, these types of things in uh, in a way that maybe they're not used to. Um, I want to, I, I want to also kind of talk about that transition from the 11 or 12 year old where you kind of started to get this professional mindset to these times of your career where you were either playing up or playing with the boys or uh, kind of seeking out the, these situations that were going to be much, much more difficult for you than just kind of staying in cruise control at your probably level that you were supposed to be at. So when, when did you guys make the decision or you, when did you make the decision that you wanted to try to challenge yourself a little bit more? And, and what was the reasoning behind that? Oh, uh, I think this part probably came a little bit from my parents initially, again, going along with the idea. Well, like if you want to be good at something, you need to be in a challenging environment because it would be very easy just to stay on your same team and keep practicing, just get better and better. And like, okay, so that's great. But I remember, um, after I was on my first traveling team or team you had to try out for after I played just a season or two of rec soccer, um, I was on my own age group traveling team. And um, I'm the kind of person and have been the kind of player my whole career is like, even if I'm a little bit over my head at first, I quickly, quickly spent so much time uh, on my own playing and, and just figuring it out that I grew into the environment and it became easy for me fairly quickly. So I remember being on my own age traveling team and being really nervous that it was a tryout. This is the first time I tried out for anything and I made the team and um, I don't remember this, but I'm assuming that 
I kind of outgrew the situation. And this might have been with the guidance of uh, my local coach at the time and my parents kind of deciding, okay, if she wants to try out for the travel team a year older, she can do that. So I played on that team for a year. And then after that, too, the same thing happened. I was a little more serious than the other players. You know, they were just doing it for fun. And so um, I was kind of in need for another challenge. And then we had the whole thought process like, well, I could, you know, drive somewhere to another club in New Jersey where they're attracting the most elite players. Um, or in my town, there was actually um, a boys team. And it was it was a very fortunate situation because my this coach I had talked about who actually coached my first traveling team and was the one who took me out and had me striking the ball. Um, his name is Ashley. He um, he actually coached that boys team. So it was a kind of a, a perfect situation where he said, well, you know what, you can try out for this team. Um, and it was a little bit controversial at the time because, you know, <laughs> there were girls teams of my age group. So it was a little bit like maybe looked at as a slap in the face to those teams. I can imagine parents might have been a little bit uncomfortable with it. Um, but so I made that boys team and Again, I was definitely being looked out for because Ashley was the coach of that team. But that was probably the first decision I made that was like really, and I would say I made, my parents slash Ashley slash I made. I mean, I was okay with it, but I wasn't dictating any of this, I don't think, at that age. I was still only 11, I think, when this was happening. So um, that was the first time, though, that what I remember really feeling like I was outside my comfort zone. Like it was very, very uncomfortable to go to these practices socially. Um, skill wise, I was I was very average on the team. Um, and, you know, in, in games, I would I would kind of sub in each half to the game. So I wasn't a start. Not that we had starters, but I wasn't, you know, one of the better players in the team. Um and so for a lot of reasons, it was very outside my comfort zone. And that was kind of the beginning of a series of um, things I remember as a kid, you know, going and guest playing for a lot of teams. And my dad would drive me. And it was scary, like, to go play with players you don't know in a new environment with a coach you don't really know very well. All of those things were very kind of – they struck me as a kid in a, a certain way. And I, I have a, a serious – like, some pretty serious memories of feeling like – really nervous and now that I think about it I think like mm, I don't know how how good that was at times because I've actually <laughs> um I spent a lot of my time as a young player outside my comfort zone and I've actually I I've since have heard a coach um give this advice to parents as, or parents or, or coaches saying that young players especially but almost most players should spend about 80 percent of their time in a level appropriate um, environment 20 percent of their time in an environment where they're dominant like maybe like recess at school or pick up soccer where you can do whatever you want try moves and then 20 percent of the time in uh, an environment that's over your head so that you're you're really stretched you have to play quickly one two touch you know figure out how to move quicker um and i now that i think of it and, and if i put this into perspective a little i probably spent over 60% of my time in that environment where I was in over my head, um, which definitely had its benefits. But I also think now that like, if I have one thing I could change about my whole career, which I, I probably wouldn't change anything, but if I had to change one thing, it might be that I would spend a little more time in environments that were more comfortable and a little more supportive as opposed to me feeling kind of out of place and having to prove myself. I want to go back to something that you said and you mentioned that when you joined the the boys team, you you were maybe like average skill wise. Um, what did you notice right away, or, or is there anything that you remember 
that you were deficient in? Like, is, is there something that was like, just like glaring, just like, Oh my gosh, I need, you know, I need to get better at this or these guys are way better at these things. Is there anything that jumps out at you? Um, I think, well, the big focus was always on the physical side of things. Of course, like of I course. need to be more aggressive and all that. But, but if I'm really thinking of it outside of that, um, I think for me, you know, tech, so if we, if we separate technique and skill into two different things, my technique was always just as good as the better guys. Like it's not that they could strike the ball better, or like their first touch was better, but it was the application of that technique, like under pressure. And in like, I could do all the moves. I could do a scissors move, but like, there's no way I was going to dribble at a guy who was, and I actually played up on this boys team. So dribble at a guy who yelled at me and do a scissors move and run by him. Like that just, I wasn't capable of that. So I'd say that like in application, you know, these guys were a lot, the better players on my team at least were very comfortable, like doing moves to beat players and, um, you know, exploding with the ball into space and doing things that at the time just, I just couldn't do at that, at the speed and pace of the game. So um, I, I reverted to like, in addition to like also there there came a point where physically I couldn't hang even if I was my most aggressive and my fastest I was always one of the fitter players um and I was and I was had you know decent pace as a kid so it wasn't like I like, was slow but some of the guys started to hit puberty and like were had like beards and stuff and I was you know, <laughs> 11 to 12 year old girl so like there came a point where I just couldn't compete in that area so um, in terms of like my positional play, thinking quickly, playing one, two touch, I would play the ball really quickly. So I'm like my speed of play in terms of uh, moving the ball was very quick. But yeah, in terms of like actually um, d- doing things with the ball um, and controlling the pace of the game with the ball, running with the ball, dribbling, um, those areas I was I was pretty far off in terms of like my capabilities compared to my teammates and opponents. Is there anything that you excelled in? Um, I mean, I always, uh, I always struck the ball pretty well. So I would score, I was forward at the time and I, I would score some goals because I, you know, on the volley, half volley, whatever it was, I, I could strike the ball well. So I would say that would be the one area, but to be really honest, like, and I'm not just saying this, like I, I was a pretty average player on the team. Like the team, if I wasn't on the team, they would have been fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was more for me than for them that I was on the team. So I would say like, if we did a fitness test or something i would have excelled in that area but again in the game that's only fitness is great but it's only worth whatever you can do with the ball and then continue doing um and yeah striking the ball is good too but if i'm not like in the right spots or if i can't beat the player to get off the strike it was only as useful as it could have been in like quick moments where i had time to take a touch maybe another touch and strike it so um there were areas where compared to the boys, like I would say that my capabilities were pretty good, but in terms of actual application, like, no, I was, I was very average. I want you to kind of take us through the next, the next steps. And, and this is where I kind of, I get a little gray with your story. I'm not too familiar with it. So, um, you know, you, you play a few years with the boys team and then, you know, you probably, I'm assuming you played high school soccer. You've already mentioned that you, got to play for your dream school of, of North Carolina. Um, what, what did those years kind of look like for you? And, and you can kind of maybe tell the story, however, however you like take us from the boys team to, to the professional level, I guess. Yeah, I, I actually did not play high school soccer. Um, but so why not? that'll kind of, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, explain why, well, this will actually be a good start to it. So 
start to this whole thing of why I did play high school soccer. Um, so like I said, you know, I was really serious at the, the point in which I entered high school. Like by then I was really serious about uh, my goals to become a professional player. I think I had been part of maybe a couple youth national team camps already. And like, I was getting to the point where I was starting to see what else, who else was out there in the country and like consider, considered myself one of the top players in the country obviously it's relative and like at that age it doesn't really matter but to me it really mattered (laughs) so um I just played on this boys team and then there was another big decision making process of do I drive a couple hours with traffic to go play for PDA which is like the big club in New Jersey or do I play for this local club um kind of 20 30 minute drive um which was called world class at the time which was like very um a very different environment than PDA. So, you know, you go to PDA, it's like these beautiful green grass fields, uh, really nice Nike uniforms, everything's matching. And then there was this uh, club called World Class where like the field had definitely had more uh, dirt than grass on them. And there would be guys, a lot of whom didn't speak English, jumping into training sessions. And the for games, uh, the team would wear these Hanes t-shirts with the logo printed and like their own black shorts and white socks. So it's a very gritty kind of like <laughs> different environment, we'll just say. Um, so around the time I was entering high school was when I was making this decision to also like, like, do I drive to be part of this elite team or do I take a chance on this really good environment? But like, I don't know, it's a little different. Who knows? Um, and in my whole career, I think something that's defined me is that I've kind of like pretty often taken the different path. And at the time that I was making these decisions, like people were all playing high school soccer. It wasn't like now where some players don't. Um, and I felt that if I was playing high school soccer and had practiced every day after a long day of school and games a couple times a week, I just wouldn't have the time to do the training that I knew I wanted to do on my own. So that meant like going to the wall, like we talked about, or practicing my fitness tests that I knew I would have to do when I went to UNC, even though it's like still years and years in advance. I had this whole training program that I would do and I kept track. I kept a training log and I never missed a day of training on my own. I was psycho. Um, It took me a long time to get to the point where I like took an actual day off. Um, So for me, it was going to be really stressful and it wasn't really going to help me in my quest to become a professional to play for the high school team because while I would get training every day in some games like the level of my high school team realistically was not very good there were a lot of players who that was the only time they played soccer they didn't play all year round they just played for high school so um it wouldn't have been detrimental i don't think now they look back but at the time i felt that it was going to be an impediment to me um doing the training i wanted to do and similar so i so i made that decision which was very different at the time similarly i decided to kind of take the different path club-wise at the, around the same time. And I was actually U14, and this, this uh, different team, this team called World Class, actually it was always a U18 team. So they kind of did it like high school. And then each year, the seniors would graduate. And whatever age you were, if you were 12 and you could play on the team, you could play on the team, and you'd be on the same team all these years. So when I was 14, I actually joined that team. Uh, so I played on that same team, technically, uh, at U18 level, uh, for all four years of high school. Um, and that was under this, this coach, Kazbek Tambi, who I referenced earlier as the one who loves soccer more than anyone I've ever seen. And this ended up being, uh, I would say, potentially the best decision of my whole career uh, to play for that team. Because, um, again, I learned the love of the game. I got to play with 
players from Argentina, Holland, Peru, Ecuador. Like he literally had male players from all over the world coming to train with us. And they were phenomenal players. I mean, players I still go play pickup with today because they're just so good, so smart, like so smooth on the ball. Some of the best players I've ever played with. Um, So that ended up being like the best environment I ever could have imagined for my development. Um, We didn't, you know, win nationals every year or anything like that, but it was a wonderful experience. Um, So that kind of took me up to at that and all through high school, I was also part of a lot of youth national team camps. So I, my name was kind of on the radar enough that when it came time to look at colleges, I did have the opportunity to go play at UNC. Um, I also ended up considering a lot of other college programs just because, you know, as I started to think about the decision seriously, I, I realized I had to do my due diligence. I couldn't just go to my childhood dream school and like just because that was the only school I knew at the time. Um, yeah. So when I looked everywhere, though, I, I decided, you know, I, there I probably could have gone to four or five schools and been really happy and fulfilled soccer wise as well. But I always felt that if I didn't go to UNC, I would look back and wonder, you know, what if I had gone there? Whereas I didn't really feel that way about anywhere else. So I think um that was also a huge piece of, of connecting the dots between this youth player who I was and then getting me ready to have to, to really play at the intensity of the professional level. Because, you know, on my team at UNC, my freshman year even, we had, you know, basically a stacked team of like all national team players, Heather O'Reilly, Lindsay Tarpley, uh, Casey White at the time was on the youth national team, Lori Kolupny, I mean, I could like it was nobody wasn't on a youth or a full national team. So it it was a good um, kind of training ground for me to take everything I had learned um, and then really ramp up the intensity and learn what it feels like to bring that to the next level. I didn't intend to to ask this question and. I, and if you if you don't feel like answering it, I could edit this part out too because I said we we wouldn't really talk about politics. I don't consider this politics though. Okay. But I'm, I, but I'm I'm curious what what the experience is like for a female college soccer player that gets called into the national team. That you, I'm assuming you can't accept you know any monetary compensation for your performances via you know Nike or Adidas or even the national team program. So. What what is it like to be a college athlete competing with the the national team, which is you know the highest level in this country, but not really being able to be compensated for it? And I, I don't know if that's the right way to ask the question. I don't even know if that's true to be honest. So maybe you can put me in my place here and explain exactly what that yeah, what that, that's like. No, no, that is true. Um, to be really honest, like that was the last thing on my mind. Um, with getting the opportunity to play, you know, to go to my first national team, full national team camp, um, as a college player. And yeah, the other, like the non-college players there were getting paid and stuff. And I honestly, I mean, I'm sure I kind of knew that, but I definitely was not thinking about it. And for me, like I would have done it for free a million times. So I think (laughs) that it may be different, um, you know, and it's different the, the further out you get from college and the more you actually play as a professional and need to view it as a career rather than um, just like the sport you love and that you're trying to be good at. But in college, I still was thinking of it very purely in the sense of like, this is my childhood dream. I'm living this out. And so for me, the money part um, was like 
I don't even remember that crossing my mind, but you are correct. And that was the, the truth of the situation. I went to my first training camp and then I went on a trip with the team to China where we were gone for a couple of weeks in China and played in a tournament. Like all the other players who weren't in college uh, were definitely getting paid um, and had shoe endorsements and all these things. But uh, I didn't, didn't even, like literally didn't even think of it at the time. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of funky to, for for people to think about that and especially like with the youth national teams now like more than ever you know calling in players at even younger ages and flying them god knows where like all over the world and and you know they they're yeah they're they're doing all this stuff with with you know no contracts and and things like that so i just in my mind i just get really fascinated with with some of that stuff i know that's it's not always on the minds of the people that are in those situations though. I think what kind of like how you just described it, like, yeah, you, you were just living in that moment and you had an opportunity to go play for your country. And of course you're going to say yes, of course you're going to go and put the Jersey on. Um, so yeah, I was just curious about that. I, I like I said, I didn't intend on asking about it, but. It oh yeah, no, head. it's an interesting question. Cause I honestly like don't even think of that part of it, but it definitely was the case. So it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and to kind of, I guess, transition from your college to professional career, and, and I'm speeding through this because I know we have 20 minutes left before the next kickoff of the World Cup game, but we could obviously talk for hours and hours and hours about this type of stuff. Um, did did you finish all four years at North Carolina? And, and, and if you did, when did any opportunities pop up for you to, to bounce out early? Or when, when did the actual jump to professional career become a, a reality, do you think? Yeah, I mean, at that time, no. Like now, we've had two female players um, from the U.S. leave or skip out on college or leave early, technically, to play professionally. But at my time, there was no, there would be no reason to, you know, leave four years early. Actually, I think at the time, UNC was like probably better than most professional teams in the world. Um, so, uh, and, and there was no league in our country at the time. So I would have had like had to go overseas hypothetically. And it's funny because when I entered college, there was no women's professional league in this country, but I don't remember really like thinking that was a problem or anything or like thinking about going overseas to play professionally. I don't That's even remember a really, really considering good point. it. That's a really good point. So yeah. as a but young soccer player, that... go ahead, go ahead. Oh no. What were you saying? As a young female soccer player, you had this idea in your head that you were going to play, grow up and play professional soccer, but there was no professional soccer league for you to 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 go to. That's that, that's a, a common thing that I think just kind of gets just overlooked in in this story of you know the women's national team winning World Cups and and you know being the being number one ranked team in the world, but yeah, we didn't even have a league for for yeah. you know, younger players to to take part in. That's crazy. Yeah, when I was when I was like before high school, there was um, the WUSA was around, or not even it wasn't before high school. It might have been when I was in high school. So there was a league at one point when I was a youth player, and I remember going to some games. And but yeah, it's weird because there was no league for a long time. But that didn't even I don't remember that really registering with me as like, oh, how are you going to play professionally if there's no league? But <laughs> I think that for me, still professionally and on the women's national team was kind of like one in the same. I just saw them as one in the same. So I guess that's kind of where my mindset was. But uh, but yeah, even when I entered college and I was like pretty close to hopefully soon being a professional, there was no professional league. So um, I forget when I first heard of it, but the WPS ended up um, 
launch and the inaugural season was 2009. So my last college season, I played all four years. My last college season was 2008 and then started to prepare because I got drafted to Sky Blue FC um, in the new league. So it was going to start up kind of right away. So I didn't have any lag time where I had to either go overseas or wonder what to do or anything like that, which was really good timing for me because yeah, I didn't like, I, I don't think maybe if there hadn't been a league and there was no rumor of it, I would have had these thoughts earlier in my college career and, you know, decided, you know, do I want to go overseas? What do I want to do? But I guess by the time I was really thinking of those things, there was some information out about the league that was about to start. So I didn't ever feel the need to seriously consider going overseas, which I feel pretty fortunate about. Because I think it, it was really nice for me to start my professional career um, in New Jersey where, you know, I grew up playing. Because uh, it's just there is a level of comfort there, even though it's a totally new environment with new coaches and new players I had never played with. But it's still nice to kind of like be home, quote unquote. Um, so... Yeah, that was that was how it started for me professionally. I um, I was drafted to Sky Blue FC in New Jersey in 2009. But even though you started your professional career in a comfortable environment, that didn't stop you from seeking out those uncomfortable situations again later in your career. So when when did you first have to kind of go? I think you even mentioned it in the first couple of minutes of our of our phone call that you know you went to Russia and it was a bad experience. Like. What, what was, uh, what was the driving factor behind having to seek that out, I guess? And, and when, when did that come into play? Well, to be honest, um, my first couple of years playing professionally was a, a pretty bad experience. Um, so although I was home and playing in New Jersey, it was a very uncomfortable experience. Uh, my first year on Sky Blue FC, I think we had four different coaches, uh, it was a disaster. We ended up going on to win the league, uh, <laughs> but it was like a really rocky road for the team, for me personally, confidence wise, it was really rough. Um, so I would say that my, the majority of my professional career has been, um, difficult and it, it was kind of like a really eye opening experience playing my first couple professional seasons because here I was like living my childhood dream and at the same time, I was I was miserable. I like my confidence was probably the lowest it had ever been. I was not enjoying playing, and I was kind of like, "Is this what I worked all these years for? This is horrible." Um, so that really re reshaped the way I I look at a lot of things, and I think that it's very common now to say like. It, you know, it's a catchphrase, like it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. But it's one thing to hear that. And it's another to really consider what that means. And like, for me, that became a really big thing. It's like, okay, this was not my end destination just to become a pro. Now I'm actually like starting this journey. And it may be hard, it may be enjoyable at times, it may be really unenjoyable at other times. And like, this is its own journey in and of itself. So uh, I, I, ended up going overseas to Russia and then to Sweden because WPS folded and there was again, no league in this country for women. And I didn't know that there would be a new league starting up the next year. So I, I definitely wanted to con continue playing at the highest level I could. So that's why I went overseas. But I would say that um, not just those overseas stints, I, I would say the majority of my career as a professional has been uh, much more uncomfortable than it has been comfortable. Did you hesitate at all? to to make that decision to go overseas 
uh like was there I a moment i should have hesitated to go to <laughs> this experience uh basically i got this opportunity to go play in russia like just for champions league for a, a short term thing and when the team was out of champions league i would come home and it was like i should have known it was weird because it was way more money than you would usually get as a female player which now i know like if i got an offer like that now i'd be like what's wrong with this but <laughs> at the time i didn't know i didn't know what it was like in europe and so I kind of naively said yes to things and just went along. Whereas now I feel a lot more, uh, I would ask a lot more questions. I would find out a lot more about the team I was going to, but at the time, I don't know. You don't think you just think it's going to be good everywhere because, you know, (laughs) as a youth player, you have positive experiences. It, you know, even as a pro up to that point, although I had some like tough experiences, you just don't think that it could actually be a, a bad experience or a sketchy club or something like that. You, that doesn't cross your mind as a young player. So uh, I def- I wasn't hesitant to go on any of the, do any of those things. Uh, but I would say as I get older as a pro, I'm actually way more hesitant, even within the U.S. to move and to um, like this past season. I, I got traded to Seattle Rain, and actually our the club I was playing for, FC Kansas City, um, no longer exists. And even that, like kind of the turmoil surrounding that and just having to leave somewhere that I got comfortable playing for three years feels like a massive upheaval to me. So I think that I'm a lot more uh, – I, I do a lot more thinking about things now than I did uh, kind of early on in my career. And there's, there's so many different – points during this interview where I feel like I want to, you know, ask five, five follow-up questions. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know if this is this, you know, short conversations is going to do your story any justice at all. Um, I want to, I, I want to try to bring things full circle though. I think if people wanted to uh, learn more about your professional career, it's, it's pretty well documented. I found a lot of stuff about um, where you've been and what you've done uh, just in, you know, a quick search last night. Um, I, I don't want that to sound like I'm discrediting your, your work. I just feel like, Oh no, people, I, I didn't take yeah. it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if people want to learn more about you and, and your, and your professional career, I think that there's a ton of stuff out there that they can find. And it's, it's worth every second of, of, uh, their time to go in and research. Um, but I, I, I do want you to get a chance to talk about what you're also up to these days. So not just playing, but you, you're up to some other stuff. And then I also want to get your, your take on a question that I've been asking quite a few people lately. And, and it's the difference between, or or what your opinion would be uh, on the difference between uh, a good player and a special player. And uh, I'm really curious. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really curious to see how, how you might answer that. Wow. Um, Okay, let me let me come back to that one. I'll answer the first part of what you said first because that's easier for me. Um, so, uh, what you were alluding to is, in addition to to playing professionally, actually two years ago, I launched my own business called Techni Football, which is a technical training app for players. So, like we talked about, I was really lucky as a young player to have coaches, you know, showing me here's how you strike the ball and how, here's how you can practice striking the ball. Or I had my dad to take me out to the wall and watch these VHS tapes and come up with ways to train um, people showing me, you know, how to practice juggling. Uh, but basically what I've done is I've compiled all of those ideas that I've been fortunate enough to be privy to over the years. And then some of them I've made up myself and uh, some I've seen my my uh, peer pros doing even today. And these are all things I still do today. And I've, I've basically put that into a blueprint for youth players. So, you know, like before you were saying, you know, it's a challenge for parents and coaches to inspire players to train on their own. Well, what I've tried to do is kind of meet kids where they are. You know, ideally, everyone would go out and know what to do and just be creative and figure it out. 
But if kids aren't going to do that, you know, everyone has a smartphone. It's in it's in the app store. You can download it and try our one week free trial. And it literally takes you through exactly what to do. It times you while you do it so you can keep track of how much you've trained. And there's kind of like a gamified aspect of getting to new levels in our what we call our stock system, which is kind of like the belt system in karate or martial arts. So you get different levels of training socks as you go. So that's that's a brief snippet on that but it's called techni football if you want to check it out but now to the, the difficult question um <laughs> the difference between a good player and a special player let's see um I, and there's there are so many ways you could answer this i actually think that for me um you know just having now run the gamut of like being all the way from a recreational youth player all the way up to a pro and playing with some of the best players in the world on the national team to now kind of it coming full circle and working with players in person and also through uh, technique football, through the app, getting to know some of the young players who are using the app to train. I think the hugest um, differentiating factor for me are, are those players who have truly taken ownership of their own development. And it's one thing you could be really talented uh, and just show up every at every training session and do what your coach says, go home, not think of it ever again. And then you could be even more average and to me be a more special player because you are truly thinking critically about yourself as a soccer player you're showing up at training you're taking into account what happened maybe you're going home and work working on something that other players there could do better than you um and you're looking up things on the internet about how to get better you're taking charge of if your parents usually leave too late and you want to be at your game a little earlier you're asking them hey can we please leave 15 minutes earlier um all of those things i think are a level of maturity that can happen at any age or not happen at any age, but that make a player really special. And in my opinion, make the game significantly more fun. Uh, when you feel like you have control over getting better and if it's necessary, proving people wrong and showing people how much you improved over a off season, things like that for me have been like so motivational in my career. And those are the players, no matter their actual talent level, who I connect to most now when I work with youth players, I love the player who's uh like i can just see it i can see it in their body language and the way they train um i could send everyone off to do the same drill and they could all be doing the same thing but i'd be able to pick out the three or four that to me are special because of the way they're doing it so i would say it's definitely in the approach and it's the the players who take ownership of their development to me are the special ones y'all y'all i want you to know that i've basically been smiling this entire time uh, that I've that I've been on the phone with you like the answers that you're saying are just like amazing answers they're real and these aren't fluff answers that you know I think that other people might just say what people want to hear I think your story is a is a very real and inspiring story and I was thinking about it probably about 20 minutes ago that somebody had asked me recently what my favorite interview was that I've done I've done over 100 interviews now on this podcast and before, 20 minutes ago, halfway through our conversation, I was already putting this in the top three. So, oh wow, I'm uh, honored. Yeah, Thank you. No, <laughs> it's uh, not. There's no reason to feel honored. I'm I'm, I'm a nobody, but um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm I'm super thankful that I that I had a chance to to talk to you and and learn more about your story. I'm excited to share this with coaches and and parents and players that listen to to my little podcast and 
And I hope that people take the time to, to go and just Google your name and, and learn more about you and, and watch your videos and, and learn more about your story. Cause it's, I think it's something truly remarkable and, and a special case in American soccer. Thank you so much. I appreciate it a lot. All right. We got some world cup to watch. Who, who do you yes, have? Good timing. <laughs> good timing. I mean, I, I love Spain, so I'm always, I'm always gonna, I don't know who I have winning the whole thing. Yeah, who do you who oh, who, who do you think is going to take it? Okay, I I would love for Spain or Brazil to win, but I think Germany will win. Oof! Even after the one zero to Mexico. Yeah, I don't know. I I just oh I think when it comes down to like the big tournaments and having the I don't know the like I guess it's the aspect of professionalism to me that like the, some of the other countries to me are not as reliable. Germany just seems so reliable. They're a but machine. I don't know. Yeah, what do you think? Who do you have? Well, I, I wasn't I wasn't one bit surprised that you mentioned Spain only because I think that that kind of goes uh, in line with your your story as well, the type of player that you are. Um, I I've already called that I think Germany is going to go further than Mexico, even even though it's the you know overcoming the one zero loss to them. Yeah, I I, I want to see Spain or Brazil too. I even mentioned last year when 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 Brazil or when uh, Neymar moved to PSG. I was like, if he moves to PSG and becomes the star of the show there, I think that Brazil takes it easy, but then he's, you know, he's been out with the injury and, and yeah. whatnot. So that makes it tough. Spain is going to, I, they're just, they're another level. They're another level. So I think they're, yeah. about to, I think they're about to put on a clinic right now. So I want to make sure both of us can watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited. Yeah. I honestly, I don't, I don't even care how much I care that much who wins. Cause I feel like there's so many amazing teams that like, I'm happy to watch whoever deserves it actually just take the trophy. Exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. No, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good time, you know, every four years to, to showcase like, Hey, it's, it's not about, you know, who should be there. It's about who earned it yeah. and, who, and, and who deserves it by, you know, what they displayed on the field. So I think it's cool. No, it's true. true. All right. Well, okay. I'm going to do my best to, I'm going to do my best to edit this today and turn it around and get it out tomorrow. If, if you're okay with okay, that. Okay. Yeah. Just, if you send it my way, I'll, I'll make sure to share it and stuff on my channels. Perfect. I really appreciate it. And, and thank you so much yeah. for your time. Sure. Thank you. All Bye. right. Cool. Bye. Alright, thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast, and thank you to my guest, Yael Averbush. That was an amazing conversation. I hope that you guys enjoyed it, and if you are looking to connect with Yael, you can find links to do that on 343coaching.com. While you are there, you can also find links to learn more about becoming a member of the 343 Coaching Education Program. That is the program that actually funds and supports this podcast. So if you are already a member, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And if you are new to us, remember that you can always kind of just dip your toes in the water with our free course. Or if you want to dive in headfirst, you can sign up for the premium course. Either one, I have a feeling you will not be disappointed with. Uh, here is Tom Byer to actually talk about his experience with one of our online courses. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. 
because the the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is again it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of you know complicated words. It makes sense, and it goes right directly to the heart of 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 the game on 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 how to how to develop um, not just you know individual players but develop teams as well. So you can find more information about that program and everything at 343 uh, by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. Thank you for listening. We will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.